please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. That's, I believe, page 517, if you have a church Bible. And as you do that, I'm going to get set up here uh, because I'm going to be using some slides this morning, which I don't normally do, but occasionally is helpful. My apologies to those of you sitting in the front row. I know that's really close. And my apologies to those of you on Zoom. I know that they're really far. Uh, both of you may have trouble seeing this, but I trust we'll just do our best and see what God allows. Here is the key question I'll be answering this morning. What does a praiseworthy woman look like? Our culture will give a number of answers to that question. Many say that a praiseworthy woman has power, perhaps political power or perhaps corporate power. But our culture also communicates that that women should be praised for their beauty. Still others praise women for their athletic victories and some, tragically, aren't even sure what a woman is in the first place. What does a praiseworthy woman look like? Our culture is very confused. The author of Proverbs, however, is not confused. And the woman here in our text this morning is not confused. She is strong, she is influential, she is confident, she is happy, she is loved, and she is praised by absolutely everyone. So let's read to find out what does a praiseworthy woman look like. So there's the text on the screen uh, that I'm going to be referencing throughout the talk here. I realize that is pretty small. There's a lot of text on the screen. So that's why I encourage you, look down at your Bibles. You'll have a much easier time reading this. Uh, but this text on the screen here will come in handy for us shortly. Here's Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. 
She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. No doubt we could all find a great number of books and articles and podcasts and sermons that are like me looking at this text and asking the same question. What does a praiseworthy woman look like? And they will answer that question in a whole bunch of ways. Some note the emphasis here on her husband and her family and her household and conclude that this woman must therefore essentially be a homemaker. That's what is worthy of praise. Others note the emphasis here on her business relationships and her productivity and her financial decision-making and conclude that this woman is essentially a business owner. And that's what is praiseworthy. Still others, they note both of these things and conclude that the praiseworthy woman is a homemaker and a business owner. And she gets up early and goes to bed late. And she saves to the future and she gives to the poor. And she's dedicated to her husband and her children and her community and her God. And she never does anything wrong and always makes wise decisions. And so the conclusion, ladies, is that you simply need to do everything excellently all the time. And then you'll be praiseworthy. That's the secret, ladies. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Okay, let's pray. No, there's maybe a little more to this. Who's right? How do we know? Should, are, is Tom just going to offer you one more interpretation based on what I think is most important in this text? I hope not. Here's the key, friends. When we're studying the Bible or any written communication, we must base our understanding on what the author intends for us to understand. And we must place our emphasis where the author places his. And in Hebrew poetry, which this is, there were a number of tools available for the purposes of emphasis. And this Hebrew poet makes absolutely brilliant and beautiful use of many of them. And so I have used, I've sought to use the author's own tools in in creating our outline that you have this morning. So my first point is that the praiseworthy woman's life is complete. And we see that here in the text in verses 10 through 31, to which the astute observer says, we know, Tom, that's literally the entire text you just read. And you're right, but bear with me a moment. Let me show you what I mean here in in two ways in this text that I believe is intended to help us see that this woman's life is complete. First, 
What you don't see here in our English translation of this ancient Hebrew poem is that every one of those 22 lines begins with the subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so I've, I've colored it there for you. The, those are the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And verse 10 starts with the first one. Verse 11 starts with the second one and so on. If I were to do the same thing in English, the first line would have started with an A. And the second line would have started with a B and so on and, and so forth. And, and so in English, a complete poem would have had 26 lines because we have 26 letters in English. But in Hebrew, they have 22 letters and this poem is 22 letters long. And if we were reading it in Hebrew, you would see that clear. It would be A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way down, just like that. This is a common technique in Hebrew poetry called an acrostic. You can remember it because it goes across, kind of. Okay, what the author is communicating here by using this technique, is that this woman's life is complete. It's complete. Her life is fully satisfying from A to Z. It lacks nothing from top to bottom. And it is praiseworthy from beginning to end. Now, no doubt you ladies here today, just like this Israelite woman back then, want a complete life. You want your life to be fulfilling to be satisfying, to be truly praiseworthy, not with the fleeting praises of our confused and fickle culture, but with an inner satisfaction that, that resonates in perfect harmony with the sincere praise of a meaningful and thoughtful community. The, the author here, through use of this acrostic format, is saying, this is what that looks like. So, so read on, go into more depth here, and you will see this is what a complete life looks like. So that's one way we see this complete nature. Here's a second way her life is complete. And it is, it is complete in its length. Her life is complete in its length. What I mean is that this poem is most likely about an older woman who has lived a full and complete and praiseworthy life. And the reason I think that is because there is a flexibility here in the verbs that are used and how they are translated. Let me show you what I mean. Consider verse 11. Our translation there says, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. So her husband trusts in her, present tense, and he will have, future tense, no lack of gain. And that is no doubt true. But the verb forms here can also be translated as the heart of her husband trusted in her, past tense, and he had, past tense, no lack of gain. That would be a a legitimate way to translate this equally. Similarly, verse 14 reads, She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. But it could be translated, She was like the ships of the merchant. She would bring her food from afar. Okay, now, and the the flexibility here, I I hope you don't feel like I'm doing some weird, you know, Hebrew-English magic here, because this isn't really that different in English and how we use verb tenses. For example, if I were to say, Allie Hallman, my wife, she plays her guitar skillfully. Okay? If I say that, you all know I'm not trying to say, Allie is only playing her guitar skillfully at this very moment. 
You would, you would know I'm not saying that. And, and you also know I'm not trying to say Ali is only playing skillfully at this moment. Or Ali is doing nothing other than playing her guitar skillfully at all times. You would know that that's not what I mean. But rather, you would understand me to be saying that, that Ali has played skillfully in the past. And, in fact, Ali is known for playing skillfully on many occasions. And there's a good chance that Ali will play skillfully again at some point in the future. Praise God. Okay, so what's my point here? It's this. I don't want any of the, the, the young ladies here among us to look at this poem and consider this to be a checklist to achieve perfection. So, so ladies, you don't have to do everything excellently all the time, and then you'll be praiseworthy. I don't think that's what this is saying. And, and, and we know this, right? Like, when you give someone praise of some kind, you're not saying, you always do this perfectly in all ways. No, but you're like... This is praiseworthy, and and you're known for this too, and and you normally do this kind of thing, and that is what excellence looks like, and you praise them for it. So, men, please don't read this text as I have just this week looking at articles online. They're like, here's the checklist you can get from this, and men, she's got to check all these boxes, or she's not the quality woman you want to marry. I don't think that's what this is for. Because then guys do this stupid thing where like, well, you know, Susie over here has like, you know, she gets like 75% of the check boxes here. But but Jane, she's got, you know, she's got like 62%, but she also brings her food from more further afar than, than Susie. And so Jane wins. This is the woman I should marry. I feel bad for the person who's got to settle over here. That's not what this is saying. And you should not do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> We got to talk if you, okay, this text is not a checklist, but is rather a celebration, friends, of a mature, wise, and godly woman whose character and work are well known and rightly praised over a long and complete life. As one commentator put it, this poem is a lifetime achievement award, not a daily planner. I think there's wisdom in those words. Now, friends, I've spent so much time on this point because I don't want the young women here to feel discouraged and overwhelmed as I move on to the next points. Nor do I want you guys to give up and start visiting other churches because apparently Grace Fellowship Church does not produce the type of womanly material that I need in a wife. That No, that's, that's not it. Instead, I want all of us to understand that this praiseworthy woman's life is indeed complete from A to Z, and it becomes so over time. So if Susie or Jane or whomever is wisely and humbly growing in the grace of the Lord, let's praise them. Let's not hold this standard over their head and and be like, ugh, you got a lot to grow in. So please, ladies especially, please don't be discouraged or overwhelmed by this text. Rather be encouraged and inspired. You are already far more precious than jewels, and you are doing excellently. Okay, for the next couple of points on your outline, I'm going to need to show you another absolutely brilliant and beautiful structural aspect of this poem that you very likely missed. Now, thankfully, this aspect 
is clearly visible in the English, but it's a poetic form that we rarely use in the English. It's something called a chiasm. And I know that long-term GFCers here are familiar with chiasms. But for those who might be new or who need, or who need a reminder, a chiasm is a literary form common in Hebrew poetry that looks like this. The author uses parallel language and themes on an outside section here in blue, and then another set of parallel language and themes on the next level in with the main point that he's trying to get to, and that he wants us to see most of all is right there in the middle. And so structurally, the poem ends up looking like this, like an arrow that's pointing you right at the key thing that the author wants you to know. Well, friends, our little poem this morning in Proverbs 31 has multiple chiasms. Let me show you. So here's verses 10 through 29 that make up one big outer chiasm with the, the parallel words here highlighted so you could see plainly what's going on there. So for example, the outermost lines there speak of her surpassing excellence. The next lines speak of her husband's joy in her. And the next lines speak of how well she cares for her family. But just when the author has hooked us into this structure and you're like, oh, I, I think I'm seeing a chiasm forming. He breaks this into two inner chiasms. So the whole structure looks like this. With 13 through 19 forming the first inner chiasm shown with the green arrow there. And then verses 20 through 26 forming the second inner chiasm formed with the blue arrow. I know this is a lot. Bear with me. He then ends. This is really cool. He then ends with two conclusion statements in verses 30 and 31 there. Which first weaves in the main point of the book of Proverbs that we've been talking about for months now. And then weaves back in the main point of the two inner chiasms. Not only is this beautifully and creatively done, but I think it's like a wink from the author there at the end to say, yep, you got it. That's my structure. You have found the two things that I wanted you to emphasize the most when you read this. Now, I know that's a lot to digest and take in, okay? And I normally wouldn't spend so much time explaining Hebrew poetic syntax and structures in a sermon. I don't normally want to have that much information on the screen for you. However, we must see what the author himself is trying to get us to see. And I believe that this is it. And so based on this structure, I want to highlight the next two points in the two inner chiasms that the author is highlighting as key characteristics of praiseworthy women. And so the next point on your outline here is this, this is the first inner chiasm and the center there is found right in verse 16. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. Now for the sake of time, I won't go into the details of the outer levels of the chiasm. There's, there's much that can be learned there. And if you want to study it more, I mean, you can Pull open your Bibles and look for this on your own. It's kind of fun. Uh, or I, I have a Google Doc I can share with you guys. Just, just ask me. Uh, what, what we can easily see here, though, is that this woman her, works hard with her hands and that her efforts are fruitful. This woman is a thoughtful, diligent, eager worker. And that, our poet says, is what makes her praiseworthy. It's one of the elements. So, 
let me follow the counsel of this poet and offer some praises of the hard-working women here in our church who serve with hard-working hands. Now, I could have spent the entire rest of the sermon doing this, so I limited my scope by taking a glance at our famous Sunday service coordination spreadsheet, which so many of you sign up for each and every week, and I'm so grateful. And, and it provided an abundance of, of things that I could praise women for here in this church. So the first thing one would notice is that Becky John's name is written all over it, coordinating so many of these Sunday school classes for the many young people that you've probably noticed we have in this church. And then you would notice that Megan and Rachel and YZ and Shy and Allie and Elsa and Ava are here before 9 a.m. almost every week, setting things up, practicing for worship, getting the levels right, usually, and, and getting the coffee ready, even. Praise be to Jesus. <laughs> Steph organizes all the announcements, sorting through the 10,000 things that we could tell you and making like three or four of them for us. Uh, let's see, Aaron does a ton behind the scenes regarding finances and logistics and figuring things out in dozens of details that no one ever even sees. And I wouldn't even know, except once in a while, I'm like, how did that get done? And then I find out, oh, there's an edit history. Aaron did it. She fixed it. Jenny is the mastermind behind the church picnics. We're having one today. Lonnie and Lori and Lori and Lopez's greet us at the door. I don't know if that alliteration was intentional, but that's what it says. And Kelly magically makes the communion table appear here once a month. I could keep going. There was more, but I, I, I have a few more points here, and Steph is going to have to make announcements, and Jenny planned a picnic for us. So we gotta, we're going to have to like keep going. But my main point here is simply to do what the poet is calling me to do, and all of us to do, to praise you ladies for the hard work of your fruitful hands. The other elders and I are so grateful for you, and we regularly praise you in our meetings, and we are eager, eager to do it even more. We are biblically called to do it, and it is our joy. One more brief application I want to mention here before moving on, before we reach the end of this, uh, or as we reach the end of this poem here, uh, I, I didn't mention this yet. When, we, when he revisits those themes in that last line, the author rightly declares here in verse 31 that we should give her of the fruitful work that she has given to all of us. At the very least, I think this looks like paying her fair wages for her work. That's biblical. We should support that. And this also looks like devoting ourselves to caring for our mothers and our grandmothers in their old age, just as they so selflessly dedicated themselves to us in their younger years. That's biblical. And we should do that too. Okay, next point. Let's take a look at the second inner chiasm there. Verses 20 through 26, which is it's the next point in your outline. The central theme here in verse 23 is perhaps a little surprising. Because all the surrounding verses of that chiasm speak of this woman's generosity and strength and courage and kindness. And then we read in verse 23 that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. 
so what's going on here? Did Tom get his chiasm wrong? Well, I suppose that's possible. But why is the husband suddenly in the spotlight? Is this the patriarchy rearing its ugly head here in a, in a poem praising women? Now you laugh, but look up the articles on this and that's what they'll tell you. To rightly understand what's happening here, we first need to understand what is meant here by the gates. That's the repeated phrase. That's the thing he wants us to see in both places, right? To the original audience, the gates would be understood as a reference to the community. It's the public square. It's where prophets cried out and where judges sat and elders ruled. It's where negotiations were held and and decisions were rendered and sentences were passed. And so this line is saying that the husband is extremely influential. He sits among the elders of the land as one of them. So this poem is pointing out that this praiseworthy woman is married to a praiseworthy man. She's well-matched in that regard. But it's saying more than that, too. Because the refrain at the end here, in verse 31, says that the woman is also being praised in the gates. Now, this doesn't mean that the woman here was an elder herself, but this author is rightly celebrating the influence and reputation that this woman has. And friends, picturing this scene rightly is so very helpful to us today because in our culture, even in our confused, sometimes contemporary Christian culture, that they look at this and they call patriarchy and things like that. But But friends, this poem isn't about the patriarchy because this woman's reputation and respect and influence are all exalted here. She's the main character. She's getting the vast majority of this praise. But this poem also isn't about feminism because this woman's husband's reputation and respect respect and influence are also exalted here. Do you see, friends, this couple isn't at odds. They aren't vying for power. They're, they're truly united. They're serving their God and their community using the power that their God and their community eagerly gave them. Listen, it's my hope, friends, that, that when you think of the Hallmans, whether today or 40 years from now, you will never say the Hallmans are all about Tom or the Hallmans are all about Allie. But I do hope that you will hear me now and 40 years from now praising Allie in our home and publicly and that you would see that Allie respects and honors me in our home and publicly. And friends, our culture has no idea what to make of this. Our culture hears words like power and submission, and all they can talk about is who has the power, who has to submit to whom. But my friends, the glorious and praiseworthy woman of this poem is staring our culture right in the eyes and and asking, what are you talking about? Like, do, do I look powerless? She asks, do I sound oppressed? You speak as though my family were a burden and my husband an enemy. My husband isn't restraining me. My, my husband is praising me. Like, like, look. He's, he's constantly saying nice things about me. In fact, everyone is. My life is complete. 
My hands are fruitful. My family is exalted and I among them. What exactly do you think I lack? She's right. This woman's life is rightly praised. In fact, as we zero in on the end of this poem and our next point in her outline, we find yet another simple but powerful linguistic tool that our poet utilizes here. And that is of simple, straightforward repetition. Look at this repeated refrain of praise. In verses 28 and 29, her family praises her in private. In verse 30, all readers of this book are called to praise her. In verse 31, all her community praises her publicly in the gates. So the author concludes not with an additional additional list of do's and don'ts for praiseworthy women, but a threefold call for the rest of us to praise such women. And this is especially crucial for us because, again, our culture is so confused and, and, and they don't even know what women are to be and do and strive for. And so if we do not praise women for the ways we have seen here in our text, we are failing them. And, and we're leaving them vulnerable to the lies and seductions of the world around us to fill in the gaps. Now, I'm not saying that women are more susceptible to temptation than men are. A couple weeks ago, when I preached the first half of Proverbs 31, we, we had we had King Lemuel who was being rebuked by his mom for being such a ding-dong. You remember that? So apparently men have temptations as well. But the main character here is a woman. And so the three, four, threefold exhortation here is to praise praiseworthy women. And so, men... If you are married to a praiseworthy woman, praise her. I know, profound, right? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? All this great wisdom. Now, but seriously, praise her. Because for some of you, this is so easy. You do it often. You Great job. Keep it up. Keep praising your wives. But, but for for others of us, maybe that feels a little awkward. We're not used to doing that. We don't really do that with people. Gosh, she knows she's great. Well, I sure hope she does. But listen, the Bible is saying to praise your wife. This text literally gives you a script. Okay, like, it's right there. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. That's a pretty good starting point. Start there and build, okay? Children. Children, I have an application for you guys. Hey, Peter, pay attention. I'm talking to you. All right? If your mom, kids, if your mom feeds you and clothes you and teaches you and takes really good care of you and your siblings, then you, by definition, have an awesome mom. Okay? So here's your assignment from the Bible. Tell your mom she's awesome. Do it first thing in the morning when you get up. Actually, brush your teeth first. But, and make sure she's awake. There are some caveats, you'll learn. But, like, still do it. Praise her. It's biblical. It is right for you to rise up and call her blessed. Tell her she's great. Now, for everyone else here who isn't a woman's husband or children, our call is also very clear. 
Praise her in the gates. Praise her publicly in the community, here at church, at the pool this summer, at the picnic after church today. Not only is that appropriate to do for the praiseworthy women in our lives, but our culture and our communities and our world need to see this and hear this. They need to witness that praise. And even more than that, they need to witness the praiseworthy women themselves. And in our last point here, we see the most important reason why. Among those three calls to praise in verses 28 through 31 there, what we find in the very center, in fact, I think the very center of another mini chiasm here, is this woman's faith in God. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Here, the author weaves in the main theme of the entire book of Proverbs, which we have seen again and again since the beginning of our series many months ago. Proverbs 1-7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so this poem, this chapter, and this book all conclude with a picture of a woman who has taken those words to heart. She has a complete, fruitful, and and exalted and praiseworthy life. It's all grounded right here in the pray uh, uh, in the fear of the Lord. Throughout this series in Proverbs, we have seen that the the fear of the Lord is contrasted here with those who foolishly despise wisdom and instruction. So, friends, this morning, wisdom and instruction have been offered to you through the words of this poet and through the example of this praiseworthy woman. Will you hear and receive that wisdom? If you are willing, then vast Stores of knowledge, wisdom, instruction, joy, fruitfulness, and, and exaltation and praised are open to you. And that's just the beginning. Because when these words were written, our poet and this woman about whom the poet writes knew only a portion of what God would reveal about himself in the years to come. Because see, hundreds of years after this poem here was written, something truly miraculous took place. Having been predicted by by prophets and announced by angels, Jesus Christ, God's own son, was born into this world. He was fully man and he was fully God. So in him, wisdom itself, the author of wisdom, took on flesh. And in him we find perfection and excellence and praiseworthiness incarnate. My friends, this woman's life is praiseworthy. But we mustn't miss the biggest reason as to why. Her life is praiseworthy because her life looks a little bit like Jesus. By looking at her life, we see a dim shadow of who he is. So as you ladies here follow in her godly footsteps, you will be reflecting his praiseworthiness as the, as the moon reflects the glory of the sun. And by it, many can see even in the dark night. 
And, and as all of us here see your fruitful hands and your exalted family and your complete and praiseworthy life, we will join you in fearing and listening to and worshiping your God, Jesus Christ. Now, I know we have a lot of visitors here this morning, and I don't know you all. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your God, as, as, as this woman in our text does, as we hear in our church, we, we all want you to know the most praiseworthy of praiseworthy people, Jesus Christ. And we want you to know who he is and to enjoy him and to be satisfied in him. You're already re- seeing some of it here reflected in the women and in the men in this church. Please come find out more of who he is. Find out why we sing songs to him every Sunday and why we spend so much time talking about him and loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, friends, what does a praiseworthy woman look like? Her life is complete in Jesus Christ. Her hands are fruitful and her family is exalted in Jesus Christ. And her life is praiseworthy because she fears the Lord our God, Jesus Christ. So let's pray and then we'll continue singing his praises. God, we thank you that our church is full of women who are living such an incredible praiseworthy life. God, I pray for those here who, who, who maybe have wondered why that is. It's not because these women have just completed a checklist. It's because they have found life in the praiseworthy one. And they are reflecting his glory. Jesus, I pray that, that the men here, the children here, and all of us would praise that which is praiseworthy. Starting with these women and ultimately giving you the glory as the one who created them. We love you, Lord, and we are so thankful for all these things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.